its mouth to the falls near its head, and to a few advanced neighborhoods on the Mohawk and the Skahari. Broad belts of the virgin wilderness not only reached the shores of the first river, but they even crossed it, stretching away into New England and affording forest covers to the noiseless moccasin of the native warrior, as he trod the secret and bloody warpath. A bird's-eye view of the whole region east of the Mississippi must have then offered one vast expanse of woods, relieved by a comparatively narrow fringe of cultivation along the sea, dotted by the glittering surfaces of lakes and intersected by the waving lines of river. In such a vast picture of solemn solitude, the district of country we design to paint sinks into insignificance, though we feel encouraged to proceed by the conviction that, with slight and immaterial distinctions, he who succeeds in giving an accurate idea of any portion of this wild region must necessarily convey a tolerably correct notion of the whole. Whatever may be the changes produced by man, the eternal round of the seasons is unbroken. Summer and winter, seed time and harvest, return in their stated order with a sublime precision, affording to man one of the noblest of all the occasions he enjoys of proving the high powers of his far-reaching mind, encompassing the laws that control their exact uniformity, and in calculating their never-ending revolutions. Centuries of summer suns had warmed the tops of the same noble oaks and pines, sending their heats even to the tenacious roots, when voices were heard calling to each other in the depths of a forest, of which the leafy surface lay bathed in the brilliant light of a cloudless day in June while the trunks of the trees rose in gloomy grandeur in the shades beneath. The calls were in different tones, evidently proceeding from two men who had lost their way and were searching in different directions for their path. At length a shout proclaimed success, and presently a man of gigantic mold broke out of the tangled labyrinth of a small swamp, emerging into an opening that appeared to have been formed partly by the ravages of the wind and partly by those of fire. This little area, which afforded a good view of the sky, although it was pretty well filled with dead trees, lay on the side of one of the high hills, or low mountains, into which nearly the whole surface of the adjacent country was broken. "'Here is room to breathe in!' exclaimed the liberated forester, as soon as he found himself under a clear sky, shaking his huge frame like a mastiff that has just escaped from a snowbank. Hurrah! Dear Slayer, here is daylight at last, and yonder is the lake. These words were scarcely uttered when the second forester dashed aside the bushes of the swamp and appeared in the area. After making a hurried adjustment of his arms and disordered dress, he joined his companion, who had already begun his disposition for a halt. Do you know this spot? demanded the one called Deerslayer, or do you shout at the sight of the sun? Both, lad, both. I know the spot, and I'm not sorry to see so useful a friend as the sun. Now we have got the pints of the compass in our minds once more, and twill be our own faults if we let anything turn them topsy-turvy again, as has just happened. My name is not Hurry Harry, if this be not the very spot where the land hunters camped the last summer and passed a week. See, yonder are the dead bushes of their bower, and here is the spring. 
Much as I like the sun, boy, I've no occasion for it to tell me it is noon. This stomach of mine is as good a timepiece as is to be found in the colony, and it already points to half past twelve. So open the wallet and let us wind up for another six hours' run. At this suggestion, both set themselves about making the preparations necessary for their usual frugal but hearty meal. We will profit by this pause in the discourse to give the reader some idea of the appearance of the men, each of whom is destined to enact no insignificant part in our legend. It would not have been easy to find a more noble specimen of vigorous manhood than was offered in the person of him who called himself Hurry Harry. His real name was Henry March, but the frontiersman, having caught the practice of giving sobriquets from the Indians, the appellation of Hurry was far oftener applied to him than his proper designation.